another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Ben Standing here talking to you guys Thursday afternoon. Uh, just wrapped up today's uh, session with the Washington football team, practice, Zooms, all that fun stuff, and about to get started here on another uh, jammed episode of the podcast. Uh, two guests for you today. Uh, first off, there's a lot of Ohio State people, as you guys know, uh, on the Washington football team, plus there's interesting players currently with the team, so I had... Uh, Ohio State reporter Stephanie Odie uh, on with me to talk about uh, her experiences with Chase Young, Dwayne Haskins, what she thinks about Justin Fields, uh, not just as players, but as people. Fun conversation. And then um, Matt Burroughs, our insider for the 49ers for The Athletic, joined me to talk. We, uh, we, we went back and forth on different kinds of questions, got into uh, what's going on with the 49ers, Trent Williams, of course, how he's playing his future, and talked a bunch about what is happening here with the Washington football team. So excited for you guys to hear this. If you've missed any of the other podcasts, of course, find it on wherever you do your podcasting, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, everywhere. We should be good to go. You want to hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Ben Standig. Of course, subscribe to check me out on The Athletic. I definitely appreciate all the support that goes on there. I'll have a story up. Uh, if it's not I don't know if we'll be up by the time you hear this, if it's if you're hearing this Thursday night or, or Friday morning, but hopefully soon about what's going on with the Washington general manager front office situation. Uh, excited for that one. Uh, before we get to all of this, just some quick thoughts here about the game this week. Obviously, and uh, no Antonio Gibson at today's practice. Not surprising with his turf toe injury. I'd be surprised if he plays Ron Rivera, I guess, left the door open slightly, uh, saying that, uh, you know, Gibson's getting some treatment with the trainers and they would see. I suspect some of that is just, uh, you know, letting the 49ers think about it, about having to play for Gibson. But I would imagine they don't use him this week, which would mean obviously a lot of J.D. McKissick. That worked out great against Pittsburgh. And I wrote about that on The Athletic this week about how uh, Scott Turner was able to turn uh, the offense when, when Pittsburgh had uh, a key injury on defense, how they were able to exploit J.D. McKissick, uh, that matchup. So you can check that out on The Athletic, uh, along with some thoughts about Terry McLaurin, the decoy, uh, and how effective that was. Uh, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how, how uh, Washington handles that. It's one thing sort of in-game having to adjust and you know they, they do what they did in McKissick. A lot of his passes you know, were short stuff, kind of effectively the running game. But it's another thing to sort of, automatically the other team kind of knows you can't run. And we'll see if they can do that. Peyton Barber, it's kind of been two yards in a cloud of dust for the most part, but McKissick's been effective. So Scott Turner's been creative with his game planning. We'll see how he gets things done on that uh, on that end of things. Beyond that, really not too much to, to consider from the injury front at this point. Terry McLaurin was, was a full go at today's practice. So Washington seems to be relatively healthy. I'll, I'll say knock on wood just so Ron Rivera or anybody doesn't yell at me in case I jinx them. But uh, things look good on that front. So let's get to it. If you, By the way, I should just say, if you want to you know, know what's going on at any point with this team, follow me on Twitter, at Ben Standig. Always there, probably there too much, but always there. You can hit me there. You want to email me? I'd love to hear from you guys. Bstandig at theathletic.com. I should probably do a mailbag at some point, maybe next week. We can uh, set that up. In any event, I hope you guys are doing okay. Take some time for yourself. Uh, it's important at this time of year, especially in this crazy 2020. You want to be good for you and to your people around you. Make sure you take some time uh, to get yourself straight. That's always important. Uh, honestly, listening to podcasts, doesn't have to be this one, but listening listening to podcasts for me is a big help. 
you know, kind of helps me get away from it all. So hopefully that, that helps you guys a little bit. And hey, there's some fun, fun things to talk about. This team is suddenly good in the mix, not just for the NFC East race, but a wild card spot. What a world. All right, let's get into this. We'll start off talking about Chase Young and all things Ohio State, and then we'll get into the 49ers preview here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, so obviously the Washington football team has quite the amount of Ohio State, former Ohio State players, Chase Young, Terry McLaurin, Dwayne Haskins. Hell, they just signed Marcus Ball uh, back to the 53-man roster, or at least, they. yeah, no, that happened today. Yeah, I lost track of time. So it, <laughs> it feels logical that we want to talk to somebody from the Ohio State area, especially since there's also this Justin Fields guy, plus other Ohio State players <laughs> will be coming into the draft, and we know – the quarterback topic will be one for sure. So I reached out to uh, somebody I got to know through social media. Uh, she hosts the uh, Sidelines with Steph Odie podcast. She is Stephanie Odie. Uh, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Ab- absolutely. You are uh, all over the place when it comes to Ohio State. You're on TV often. You've got the podcast. You're interviewing Urban Meyer and all kinds of people. And uh, the, the way I, I sort of discovered you, I don't remember – who followed who first on Twitter. But at some point I, in, in doing my research for Chase Young last year, getting ready for the, for him to likely be the pick for Washington, the, I, I saw various videos. There was one video, he, you're talking to him, you're interviewing him. And at that point I had just watched him from a perspective of the player. He's mm-hmm. getting sacks and okay, that's fine. But I, you know, I didn't know anything about the guy. And then I watched his video with him and I was like, whoa, this guy's got like personality plus He's very, yeah. he's very playful. He told you, I mean, you know, you did ask him and he, but he, you asked him who was his favorite reporter and you could see the wheels spinning, but he figured out the logical answer. One, the, the person who he asked knew the right answer. Yeah, he knew the right there answer. Was right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he, he said to you, and it was, I'm sure one, that it was sincere, but two, he, it was, it was interesting to see somebody in that, in that spot, have to sort of play it out quickly and have to figure out what is the response here. And that was interesting. So uh, that, that's how I got to know him and to some degree and how I got, how I got to, to, to know you. How, how, did you wh- how did you find Chase Young during your time uh, at Ohio, when he was at Ohio State? Well, I mean, he is not only the best player on the team, the, one of the best players in the nation. So obviously I would be talking to him a lot. And quite frankly, I was the only local reporter getting an interview with Chase Young. They protected him. They did not want him in the media. And so I had to bug my way in. He always told me he would talk to me, but then I had to go through PR personnel, Jerry Emick, his position coach, Larry Johnson. They, they kept tabs on him. They didn't want their prized player not to mess up the media, but I eventually got him and it was, it was a fun one. I mean, he, he knew he was going to the Heisman ceremony in New York and there was a lot of hype around him. He was having a great season. So he was, he was in high spirits. It was the saddest thing was seeing him at the Fiesta Bowl in the locker room after that game. I know Ron Rivera spoke about how he's an emotional leader and I could not agree more. He, he definitely puts us all into this. He, he works so hard. He wants it so bad. He wants to be the best and when you look at the Bosa brothers that came before him, he would, he would ask me, he would want to know, are, are they still talking about the Bosa's like up in the press box or with the media? He goes, are they still talking about the Bosa's? And so he, he just wants to be the best and he, he takes everything he can and is a sponge and learning it all from everyone at Ohio state. So I think it was a good move for him for, to go there and develop. 
you know, obviously we all have to get a, a sense when you have a big time college program in a college town. So it's not in, you know, <laughs> Columbus is, it's, you know, it's, it's got some people, but it's not, you know, New York City or Washington, D.C., that that program just is is everything. I think we can all sort of imagine on a day-to-day basis, though, when a guy like Chase Young is around, is he like a rock star? I mean, I mean, I guess you can, I guess he can stay somewhat in the cocoon of the campus, but like, is it everywhere he goes? And, and this year, maybe with Justin Fields, is it just to that degree they're like the Beatles on campus at all times? <laughs> well, I would say As his size alone. alone. Yeah, his size alone definitely makes a presence in the room. I was on a broadcast team with several Ohio State alums and we would go down on the field and they even former football players would say, man, he's big. And so when I stand next to him in an interview, oh my gosh, I, I worked with NBA players and the height alone gets me, but he is a different level and he is very dedicated. He changed his regimen and he went pescatarian and he, he dives into the off season lifting and things like that. So his build alone makes a presence, but also he is a leader. I think that he really grasps the whole of the attention of his teammates. And even as a rookie, I believe he's doing that now with Washington as well. He, he, he is. I mean, it was notable to me. I have lost track. Of, I've lost track of all time during the pandemic, but it was like two or three weeks <laughs> yeah. ago. I, I, I forget which after one of the, one of their wins and Ryan Kerrigan, a been there, done that guy. He's the all time leader in, in sacks for this team. He lost his job essentially because of Chase Young's arrival. And when he talked about Chase Young, he said that we as a team feed off him emotionally. And I was like, what? <laughs> you're like, he's 20, he's 21 years old. You're 30, whatever. You've done all these things. What are you talking about? How is this guy? And he just said, hey, he just brings that that energy, that emotion. And, and, and you can just tell that it's a genuine thing. And they all do feed off it. And Ron Rivera, like you said, brought that up again this week, which is a fascinating dynamic to see. It's one thing to imagine a player come in and and on the field physically play well, but mm-hmm. to do it from the emotional perspective is is is, is interesting. What, what, what was your sense of him though, just off, maybe even like off camera? What What's he like to, to, to deal with? I mean, unfortunately, I've never seen him off camera. Yeah. <laughs> it is literally, we get him on the Zooms. He's on every week. He, he and Terry McLaurin are the Thursday staples for us, basically, at this point. Another Ohio State guy, of course. Mm-hmm. But that's it. We don't have any. I, I've yet to talk to Chase Young face-to-face since he's been with the team. So what's he like uh, that you found kind of off camera? Yeah, Chase is a fun guy. He's got a, a big personality. He he loves to sing. You know, he he likes, he, I think he likes the attention. I mean, he buys into it. He's he's always looking at what's everyone saying about him and but it's highs and lows. Like I know when he had that hit in the last game that my people were saying it cost him the game. I know he takes that to home and you know, he he's got a strong family unit as well. His mom, Carla is the best person to have in the stadium. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so fun getting to see that relationship, but yeah, he's a fun guy. And you know, Terry, he, he is as well. I mean, a fun story about him is urban Meyer one day at practice called him Larry. And so then all the wide receivers were calling him Larry after that. So if you ever see Terry, definitely make sure to call him Larry. He'll, he'll get a laugh over that from his days at Ohio state. But, but yeah, these guys, those two alone, I think that it is very emotional for them. You look at the detail they, they put into it. Terry was one of the receivers who came into Ohio state and kind of helped make that program evolve at the wide receiver position. By the time he came out of there, he was one of three wide receivers that were captain chase. He was, you know, a defensive Heisman candidate. So they, they definitely make history when they're at Ohio state, but it's definitely attention to detail and they have amazing position coaches with them, strength trainer and their head coaches. So I think that the the people that they have around them, especially with how bought in they are definitely contributes to what they do on and off the field. 
Yeah, uh, th this week, Ron Rivera was asked about Chase Young's mental approach. And he said that, like, mm -hmm. you could just tell that when he got here that he had been schooled by some really good by some really good mm -hmm. coaches. Obviously, Larry Johnson is a you know, well-renowned uh, defensive line coach. Um, you, you mentioned McLaurin. I remember interviewing him for the first time or just hearing him talk and just immediately be going like, okay, how old is this kid? This guy is way mature yeah. for, for his age. And now we've gotten to know him now for the last year or two. And, you know, he really speaks of, of somebody who's who's looking at the world from like a higher plane. That's just the mental side, the, 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 the physical traits. He's just, you know, he, he's become such a huge surprise. I um, mean, they drafted him in the third round, but the immediate talk was, oh, special teams, that's where he'll help. But that never happened because he obviously became so good speed, the route running and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. What what was your sense of him at Ohio State? Because it, obviously he was sort of off the radar a little bit relative yeah. to Dwayne Haskins and some of the other guys. Well, players today still look at Terry as, you know, a model that they want, want to pursue and, and model their career after like Austin Mack, another Indiana guy and KJ Hill. They, they look at what Terry's doing in the NFL compared to the lack of attention he got in college. And they say, I could be that guy because they look at how explosive he is. He had that potential. And that's what happened when he went into Ohio state. It was, it was funny when he was looking at schools he wanted to go to urban Meyer and, and Kerry Combs looked at him and urban Meyer said, all right, you know, you're really fast. You're one of the fastest guys out here at this camp, but we want to work on your ball skills. So he had to go home. Urban Meyer mm -hmm. gave him an assignment that said, catch 200 balls a day, come back mm -hmm. in two weeks and we'll, and we'll see how you're doing. Well, you know, he, he even said like back, he remembered his wrist hurting because he would be catching like over 200 balls a day for those two weeks. And he came back and, and Urban Meyer recruited him on the spot. And so it's just that mentality that he completely buys into the system. He's got legendary coaches around him and, and Chase as well. I mean, when Chase was in high school, he would be texting Larry Johnson three times a week saying, Hey, I saw, I saw this play. Hey, look at his foot placement there. So look at his stance, like attention to detail, even before they got into Ohio state. And so when they eventually were there, they, they really took the most out of it. Terry was helping create drills for the wide receivers. And so he was completely involved and they're still using that today. Brian Hartline still talks about Terry McLaren in his tape. So, I mean, it's, it's lived on and they're definitely examples for Ohio state. Yeah. I mean, he's easy, an easy one to point to as an example on and off the field of how you want your players to perform. That's one thing I wrote a couple of weeks ago on the athletic was that it's not enough just to have talent. You got to have guys who are coachable, who are the hardest workers, who are the best players. And between Chase and Terry, it feels like they actually might uh, have that. Um, this, I was just thinking this as you were talking, I, I, because the, all these Ohio State guys are here in my head, and <laughs> a lot of people were always like, well, that's Ohio State must just be paying attention all the time to Washington. The reality is there's lots of Ohio State players in the league. Yeah. Who, who's the most popular? I, I, who's Right now of all the Ohio State players who are in the league, who's, who's the most popular with the, I don't know, with the fan base or maybe even the players? I guess the players maybe more personally, but who's like the most popular Ohio State player in the league right now? You know, maybe it's just me being biased and because I've grown close to the Washington football team and, and my conversations with them over this past year and opportunities with them. But Ch Chase was a big name. And unfortunately, with Nick Bosa being injured, he's not getting those looks. But I'll tell you, Chase was paying attention to Nick last year. And there was one, there was one weekend in particular when Nick and Chase and Joey all had, I think, maybe three sacks each. And so, I mean, that was so cool to see.
But I, you know, that's a tough one. I know Michael Thomas gets a lot of attention as well. And he was similar to, he wasn't drafted as high. Now he's, you know, one of the highest paid players in the league, sure. but I, I, w- I would say Washington, maybe because it's closer to home. Zeke gets a lot of attention as well. Uh, Dwayne, when, when he was playing, uh, when he was starting, you know, that, that's a tough one. I think maybe the recent recency effect would say chase and Terry, Oh, that's right. You're, but, you're on a Washington podcast. You're fine. If I put, if, if, if yeah, I make you, if I make you actually pick, you'll, you'll annoy somebody. So uh, yeah. uh, that, that's fine. You, you do good. You're, we you, pay you, attention to the big plays. I mean, <laughs> Jordan. Yeah. yeah especially because we're currently having some issues on our secondary and we lost Jordan Fuller to the draft and he had two interceptions on Tom Brady. So, I mean, we pay attention to the big plays like that. And obviously all the position coaches at Ohio state use that film and say, Hey, this, this is what we have to offer. So <laughs> it's a, it's a big, it's a big draw. And I know, I know Chase in particular, he would watch Nick and he wanted to beat him. The two competed a lot and everything when they were at Ohio state and, and he studied him like crazy. So that was definitely something he kept an eye on. Sure. I, I bet. Uh want to ask you about some of the current players, including Justin Fields. But before that, just that you mentioned Dwayne Haskins, or one of us did. Um, obviously, he, right now, he's not playing. He's, he's behind Alex Smith, and Alex Smith is a whole other story. I know you talked to Urban Meyer recently, and and people should go listen to, to that episode of your podcast, because obviously, Urban Meyer, uh, <laughs> literally, you couldn't have a crazy situation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has, I mean, yeah, he's a legendary coach, and he coached Alex Smith and Dwayne Haskins. Clearly, nobody's going to have more inside uh, than him but in terms of Haskins he obviously had a monster season his last year uh, with the Buckeyes and was you know the, the 15th pick in the draft high expectations it hasn't worked out to, to date which isn't to say that it can't work out but it just hasn't to, to date it seems like it's surprising to some people back in Columbus that it hasn't worked right off the bat what's been the sense of from watching Dwayne Haskins from afar how things have gone that they haven't gone as smoothly as maybe some kind of would have thought I think it's hard to say they don't expect it mainly because he only played one year at Ohio state. And then you, you get a, a job in the NFL taking on a whole new program and, and the position it was in at that time. And so, and when I, when I spoke to urban Meyer about that, I, I asked him, I said, is it bittersweet that one of your quarterbacks is benched and now Alex Smith, who had the biggest comeback in in all of sports, maybe previously, I spoke about how Tiger Woods's comeback may have been the biggest, but I, this may, this has to replace it. I mean, a, a life-threatening injury like that and coming back. And so Urban even said that, you know, you, you can't expect it right out of the gate. I mean, he hasn't had the reps and you get better with reps. And so I think he just has to take some time to develop. You know, he, he had a whole new playbook last year and you're not really calling plays out in the huddle with Ohio state. So he, he really had a whole new scheme to, to take on. And I think that'd be a challenge for anyone, especially someone who only had one year to get to play in college, even if that's Ohio state, but he also had, you know, so much talent around him. So he, right. he, he had to learn a lot. And so I think that that, that might've been the issue there is that he, he needs the reps and he could get there in time. Urban Meyer has full confidence in him. So I think, I think it's going to be the experience, but Alex Smith, Coach Meyer even said he's the toughest guy he's ever met. And he's been around some tough guys. And so he he had no doubts that, that Alex Smith can, could, could come back. And it's amazing to see how well he's doing right now. 
Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that you asked him that question about the bittersweet about these two guys competing. Yeah. I, I I talked to Urban Meyer a few weeks ago and asked the same thing. I think he gave you a better answer than he gave me. Uh, he was very nice <laughs> at his time, but uh, yeah, that, that that was um that, that was funny to hear that you did that too. Um, uh, you mentioned all the talent. One of the things I recently talked to a bunch of um, draft experts, Daniel Jeremiah, and and uh, some NFL executives, things like that about the incoming class of, of quarterbacks, obviously Justin Fields is part of that. And one thing they said was that it's sort of almost hard to, to assess him similar as it was to Haskins probably in hindsight, because there is just so much talent there. Mm-hmm. He's, he has ample time in, in the pocket, the look down the field and the receivers are always, always open. Uh, so it's interesting to, to hear that. And obviously it seems like with Justin Fields, there's a sense of he's obviously incredibly talented. He could be the second player picked in the draft after Trevor Lawrence, but maybe he still needs some, some more time. Maybe that's a little bit of the, of the Haskins hangover. But from a guy perspective, I've watched him play. I don't know anything about Justin Fields, the guy. Uh, you, I'm sure you've talked to him, been around him to some degree, even with the mid this pandemic. What, yeah. what, 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 what can you kind of tell us about who he is um, as, as, a, as a player, but also as a, as a person? I think he has a lot of God-given ability, but he definitely packs it on with his determination and he is so committed i mean he just stays in his room he's got his dog uno and he like even with an outbreak on the team the whole program was very committed i mean coach jay was staying in his hotel during the season just to prevent a a positive test so when when he went down with it he he was very hard on, on himself but Justin Fields, he, he really, even last week when, you know, coach day was out and we had a lot of other coaches out too. He felt like he was, you know, running the offense from, you know, an administrative executive position because of where the team was at. So he really steps up to the plate and, you know, he went vegan. That was a a big conversation that a lot of the media members wanted to talk about in the off season, but he dove into the playbook a lot. And one thing in particular that I really noticed with him this off season was he was asking coach the why not necessarily, okay, what plays are going to be called? Like I, he dove into so much depth into it to, to read defenses better. And so I think that when you really dig into that aspect of the game and really become more of a self coach and command the offense, I think that really helps too. But his leadership was on high display this season on and off the field with, I mean, they went through a lot. I mean, they're, their season was canceled. It came back and it was canceled again. There was protests for their families. And even at a remote level at times, he just commanded so much respect and leadership that any team in the NFL will, will be drawn to this kid. And he, he entered there as a transfer and, and just really went with it. I mean, there were, Ohio was a little bit concerned, like, okay, he's a transfer. Is he going to command the Ohio state offense? And man, did he impress us, but it was hard to see him in that Indiana game. He really, he, you know, he wanted to make some big plays and really make a Heisman run. He never once questioned coming or missing out on the season when they had the option to opt out. Even when the season was canceled, he never once thought about it. He stood there and he, and he stood by his team and we're one of the few programs that didn't lose a single player to opt out. And he was, you know, messaging his offensive lineman, Wyatt Davis said, you got to come back when he opted out, you got to come back and he got him back. So I think, I think players want to play with him for sure. Oh, well, 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 that's good to hear. I mean, yeah, it really is. All, I mean, look, we've all gone through a lot this year because of the pandemic, but when you hear what's mm-hmm. going on with the college players, knowing that their age and just, you know, like you said, the season, I mean, technically I live in big 10 country with Maryland, but I don't, I, I still view it. As, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't view it like that way technically or, or realistically, but uh, um, 
but yeah, I mean, the, the, the Big Ten in particular has just been kind of going all over the place. And as you and I are talking right now on Wednesday afternoon, we're still waiting, right, for his vote to, to determine whether whether Ohio State essentially will be allowed to play in the Big Ten championship game because they won't have had the amount of games that are in theory required. So we don't even know if they're going to be eligible. It sounds like, though, it's, it's I mean, logically they should be allowed to. And the Big Ten would be stupid to not, if Ohio State's going to have a chance to be in the national playoffs, to, to not do that, which, which, by the way, is a whole other topic. Who's determining who's getting in the playoffs this year? One team played five games, another plays eight or nine. They and- have made it official. I As we've been talking, they, they did confirm that Northwestern and Ohio State will play in that title game. And the reasoning behind that was even if Ohio State played this game, win or lose, they had, you know, they, they beat Indiana head to head. They would be the Big Ten East champion and go into the or go into the Big Ten championship. So that was the determining factor there. But I do feel for Indiana and you know, I, I love what Tom Allen's doing there. When you talk about players wanting to pay for their coach and, and culture and things like that, man, is that, you know, highly displayed by the players at Indiana, I think. Yeah. So I, I think, but, you know, with the state of the Big Ten and and you see what what's happening in Michigan and what happened at Penn State, Indiana has used 2020 to their advantage. And I think they're really going to make a stamp on them for themselves in this conference and become a contender. I think that, especially when you got a coach like that who can recruit and motivate players, and then there's other teams struggling, I think that could put you ahead. Ohio State, you know, has a strong lead, but I think Indiana could become, get up there and, and at least be a competitor. Yeah, no, I mean, if you're going to list, uh, I keep sort of in the back of my head thinking 2020 again, terrible, but some people clearly have <laughs> have succeeded or it's, it's been a good year. Yeah. It feels like Indiana makes makes that list because I mean, mm-hmm. it's been a, an absolutely irrelevant program for forever and uh, yeah, made some real noise uh, this year. By the way, you, you said Justin Fields went vegan between that and, and <laughs> telling me that, that Chase Young is a, what, what, a pescatarian. Like, pescatarian. I, I, feel, I feel like the Ohio State like media guy needs to list height, weight, major year diet like I mean, yeah they get their meals and everyone knows their strict diet but justin said he was never tempted to have a steak and some of the guys would be like hey you want it but (laughs) he he's got like his shakes he likes tofu he makes it work (laughs) um in in our last couple minutes here with uh steph odie who covers the ohio state uh football program uh justin fields obviously is the guy most people are going to pay attention to but Clearly, there's tons of other guys at Ohio, Ohio State. Who are a couple names that maybe people who are starting to look ahead to the draft or will, you know, in a, in a few weeks? Who are a couple other guys at Ohio State that you think could uh, get some attention uh, this year? Uh, Sean Wade had a lot of attention coming into this season. He he wanted to get into that slot position and show some tape, so he opted back in, and I think he's someone to look out for. Uh, Wyatt Davis, especially on the offensive line, he he's phenomenal there and. Protects Justin Fields well, so we love him. Um, then you also have Chris Olave, who who can make some big plays. And so yeah, there, there's you know at every position we 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 seem to have some good guys, and I think that I think that they'll do well in this draft. And I think Justin, he's he's made a strong case, and he hasn't had as much film as Trevor Lawrence, but I think that he is a guy you you have to have on your team. That's that's you know Larry Johnson, he was the first African American to serve as head coach for Ohio State. Just last weekend and he was speaking about the experience of getting to to take that on and he said if I'm gonna head coach at Ohio State I want Justin Fields and so that was that was pretty cool to to hear him say that and just really put a lot of praise on on him 
Well, I mean, just before we came on, I was looking at Twitter and like the Mel Kuyper said it, right now he would take Justin Fields number two overall Jacksonville uh, Jets, you know, Jets look pretty good to get the first pick, but Jacksonville would have the second pick. They need a quarterback. It does feel weird that Washington said with it, well, all of a sudden with this surge, they may not even be in the top 10 anymore. And I would take them out of the likely of the Justin Fields category, but look, you never know how, if we've learned nothing else from this t- crazy year, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. So ne- never say never, but, but definitely go follow Steph on Twitter at Steph Odie, O-T-E-Y. Go find her podcast sidelines with Steph, like Steph Odie, like I said, she's talked to Urban Meyer. Uh, you talked to Mike McCartney too. Yep. Uh, he's been on recently. He, he dove into his childhood with Jim Harbaugh growing up on the Michigan sidelines during the, the Woody Bow 10 year war. So right. some good stories. He's got, he's got tons. He's such a great football brain, very decorated and- career in life. AJ Hawk came on. Um, so yeah, I, I'm bringing on a bunch of new people. And then I had Steve Helling on who, who wrote the book on Tiger Woods and he's the host of murder made me famous. He's got tons of stories that, that we get into. So and, and a lot, lot of angles. Yeah, for sure. And just to play along with the Twitter joke, Mike McCartney, the agent for Kirk Cousins, yes. and of course, former Washington team president, Jason Wright, his former agent, as opposed to Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys. He coaches. gets that so much, <laughs> so <laughs> much. And I love how Jason Wright and him had a little play on Twitter about it. So they they joked and, and said, well, you know, as long as he he's ready to play us on Thanksgiving, that thought that was funny. Absolutely. Steph, I really appreciate it. Best of luck the rest of the way. Stay safe and uh, we'll see what Ohio State does the rest of the way. Thanks. Have a good one. I appreciate it. All right. You may have heard that the Washington football team has a game this week against against the San Francisco 49ers. You may not have heard. I don't know how much you're paying attention. The game is actually not being played in San Francisco or Washington because it's 2020 and the, the world does not make much sense anymore. There's even like banging going on in, in my guests uh, space right now, because why, why should things be normal at any point in, in the day ever? Uh, he is uh, our 49ers insider, Matt Barrows. Uh, sir, what's uh, what's going on? You're, you're, you're doing okay over there? Your team ran away from you and everything? Yeah, I've been abandoned here in Santa Clara. And yes, the bang you hear is um, workmen outside my building setting up scaffolding. So uh, usually I could escape that by going to work, but I've got nowhere to go now. Um, As far as the team you cover, though, I I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. I mean, uh, there wasn't going to be anybody in the stands in Santa Clara anyway. Um, you know, uh, th- there won't be in, in Arizona either. So uh, it's a it's a grass field. It's actually probably a little shorter trip for those guys. Uh, they'll be on mountain time instead of Pacific time. But otherwise, uh, pretty much the same for any team that's visiting the quote unquote 49ers new home. Yeah, I mean, other than other than the 49ers having to travel themselves, I mean, home, I mean, the statistics have shown the home teams are have no real advantage. Uh, this year, we just saw here in the NFC East, Washington obviously went to Pittsburgh to beat the NFL's last undefeated team. The Giants went to Seattle with Colt McCoy at quarterback and won there. Neither one of those things are conceivable under normal circumstances, uh, but but that's where we're at. And uh, yeah, without the fans, there's uh, there yeah, there, there's no there's no, there's no home field advantage unless there's like some nook and cranny on the field that some player recognizes or. or you know, a, 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 like a, a, a soft spot to take advantage of or, or, or something about the wind tunnels going around that, that the coaching staff has a, has an insight for. Beyond that, there is no, yeah, there is no advantage uh, this year. And, and I, I assume people know um, 
but because what is it Santa is it Santa Clara County? No, what's the county? Yes, Santa, Santa Clara County. So they they, they uh, limited the amount of people who can be at events, and uh, basically they said you just couldn't have you couldn't have uh, these types of events right now. So the 49ers had to go figure out somewhere else to go, and the NFL said, okay, you're going to Arizona. What's the deal? They went to Arizona rather than say Oakland because with COVID, the, the current stadiums are set up to deal with the various testing and all the other um, situations that everybody's uh, using to help prevent the spread and to be as safe as possible. And Oakland Alameda exists, but that's not being used. Therefore, it doesn't have the, the, the needed protocols. Is that the basic gist? Well, you know, I think a bigger issue was that the 49ers didn't want to pack up and, and move somewhere else only to have that county issue the same thing that their their home county did. Um, the, the state of California could also implement things if uh, COVID rates uh, keep rising. The, the issue out here is is hospital beds. They're running out of hospital beds, so uh, they're clamping down pretty hard. The 49ers' response is, well, you know, are, are we really responsible for, you know, the spread of this disease? They've had uh, a number of cases, but um, you know, I, I think they have a point as well. I, I, I think the county is sending a signal more than anything that uh, this is important and, and people need to uh, kind of adjust their behavior. So they had to leave the state and uh, the, the best uh, alternative was Arizona. And, you know, if you look at the, their, their schedules, the Cardinals and the 49ers, they don't share any home dates all season long. So this was the contingency from day one that uh, if the 49ers got booted out of California, they would pair up and be stepbrothers, if you will, with with the Cardinals, who they're competing with for one of the last playoff spots in the NFC. So uh, it, it gets kind of juicy if you if you play it out in your mind. You know, I'm thinking I just realizing that we talk about if there's a home field advantage and no, but Washington already played there this year. They have week two. They have lost to the Cardinals. So they're at least familiar with the scene, <laughs> yeah. whatever that's worth. Maybe somebody left behind a pair of socks for something from last time, and now they can uh, retrieve those. It would be amazing if there was one of those deals where, like, they put something up in the ceiling to come back and get later. Of course, like, <laughs> I, I forget. I forget if that, I think it was like Doc Rivers or something in the NBA in the NBA uh, finals did that once upon a time. Um, all right, so so here's the deal. I've got I've done this format before when we had on some other writers from the Athletic. We're basically we'll just go back and forth, three questions each. Uh, just to whatever we think is interesting or curious about about the other team, and uh, obviously it's is a it's unbelievable to me that this is a massive game for Washington all of a sudden. But here we are. This NFC East race isn't even a joke anymore. They're actually in the mix for the wild card because they've strung together three wins: the big one over Pittsburgh, and obviously the 49ers uh, are in the mix as well. Both teams uh, with the with the same uh, with the same record. So. Um, you, I'll let you defer. You, I'll, you, you can decide. You're the home team. Do you, even though we're a neutral side, would you like to kick, or would you like to, def, would you like to receive, first? I'll, uh, I'll kick off. Um, right. You know, you, you got uh, some guys on, on the team that you cover that are really interesting to 49ers fans, uh, especially the quarterback, and um, you know, all of us who've been watching afar, all of us who covered Alex Smith when he was with the 49ers know exactly how resilient he is. He overcame quite a bit, including a really nasty uh, shoulder injury when he was the starter here. But his his injury uh, in, in Washington is beyond the pale. And I'm, not, I'm just wondering 
Um, I, I think there were a lot of people out there that that didn't want to see Alex Smith come back. That um, you know are, are are genuinely worried for his health. And I'm just wondering, in, in watching practices and watching his his early games, did you see any hesitance or caution from him uh, when he was out there? I mean, does he look like this? If you didn't know that he got injured, would you know that he went through such a horrific ordeal? Yeah, um, I, I remember making this point early on in camp, man. I, I've made this bad joke now many times on this podcast and elsewhere that I've been wrong every step of the way in his journey. Never, He's not going to pass the physical. Well, he's definitely not making the – he's not going to make the roster. Okay, fine. He made the roster. He's definitely not going to play. <laughs> you know, well, okay, fine. He played, I guess. But, I mean, that could, you know, come on, this isn't going to work. And now you wouldn't even know. But to the point that you're – to the question that you're asking – Back in training camp, you know, when he first got out there, we were all stunned. It became a, it became a point where, like, you wouldn't know. Now, granted, there's no hitting, right? So, it, it a little bit, but just the basic movements, you really would not have known that he was the guy coming off of 17 surgeries on one on his uh, right leg. Um, you know, he still to this day doesn't look like the same exact mobile quarterback that he was, but he's not afraid to step up in the pocket. We saw that this week um, against Pittsburgh. You know he's not running away from defenders, but he's but he can get it. He can move around enough. He, he he understands what he's doing. He's spry, and I I made a comment this week that watching him at one point step up into the pocket and then kind of run towards the sideline to get away from the defenders while trying to pass the ball. That I realized I wasn't watching him like that way I would in fear of like watching a kid in traffic. I was watching an NFL quarterback do his thing, and that was for the first time for me was different that it wasn't just like, like uh, we're watching this ridiculous thing happen. Like, how is this possibly happening? Watching a guy play quarterback. And that's, it's just, it's unbelievably remarkable that he's done that. But yeah, but back in training camp, I remember thinking early on without getting hit that you can't really tell there's not much difference. And it really is just unbelievably. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw, uh, I, I forgot to mention this. Uh, Matt, Matt grew up in the DC area, grew up a fan of the Washington it wasn't the Washington football team then or five, six months ago, but it, it is now. Um, so I, I assume you may have been watching the game one way or the other, just because it was also the game on TV the other day, the pregame, they tried to make this sort of uh, competition between Alex Smith and Ben Roethlisberger for the NFL comeback player of the year. <laughs> I was like laughing. I'm like, I get it. On a normal year, Ben Roethlisberger might, might win. No way. You, Alex Smith is making the team anyone, let alone, He's played well, so yeah, it's 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 been remarkable. Uh, I didn't see that, but yeah, uh, I, I would think that Alex Smith is a absolute shoe in. The Forty ers have a couple of candidates for that award, Trent Williams being being one of them. Uh, but uh, everybody's uh, gunning for second place, I think, uh, in, in comeback of the player, uh, comeback player of the year award uh, this year. <laughs> yeah, um, it's 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 off the charts crazy. I mean, I think the, the, the amazing thing now is I've been even dismissing the idea of him as the 2021 starter, and we'll see. There's still a ways to go. You know, there's still some things to determine there, contract and others. But the but I mean, now he's played so well. It's, it's from the purely football perspective, it's impossible to deny that he could be that guy. And <laughs> it's it, it it boggles it boggles the mind even in a year of 2020 where everything is uh, off the charts. Yeah, I agree. Crazy. Um, all right, here's my question for you. I'll stay on the injury front. I, I don't know if there was a team in the league that was more of the poster child for injuries, especially at the start of the season. 
than the 49ers. Tons of guys lost right off the bat. And then throughout the season, there's been some injuries. I know you, the team has gotten some players back, but nonetheless, you're without um, Nick Bosa, uh, you know, one of the best defensive linemen in, in the league, the guy that, you know, everybody compared when Chase Young entered the league was one of the guys that compared him to, of course. And then also losing George Kittle, uh, one of the, one of, if not, if not the best tight end and, in, in, in football, he, I know he was highly productive for my fantasy football team this year until he went out. And I'm not, you know, if we rank them, I'm not, I, I would presume maybe Bosa would be ranked higher as a player, but I, I don't know. But I'm just wondering who's been harder to replace for this team, both sides of the ball, Nick Bosa from the pass rushing perspective or just being a presence on the line, or George Kittle, who, like I said, emerges one of the better, you know, uh, dual threat tight ends in the league. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a great question. I don't know if there is an answer to that. I mean, Kittle not only um, is, a, is a great pass catcher, he's, he's a fantastic blocker, like, um, you know, uh, top five in the league. Um, you know, he gets compared to Travis Kelsey a lot. Kelsey's fantastic. No question about it. Kelsey's basically a wide receiver. He, he barely ever lines up in line and when he does, um, he's he's not uh, you know doing a lot of gritty blocking. Uh, George Kittle mm-hmm. does that, and may, maybe that's the reason why he's been beat up so much uh, over his career. But um, he really gets after it, and this is a team that likes to run the ball, likes to run the ball to the edges, to the side of the field. Um, Washington fans will remember that from from when the Shanahan's were there. Uh, a few years ago. And so the, the tight end is doing a lot of that, that blocking and the, and the 49ers replacement thus far, um, young guy, undrafted guy, you know, God love him, you know, hustles, does everything you want, but he's, it's, it's a far cry from what George Kittle would supply. Kittle also has emerged as the sort of the, the locker room voice, the, the soul of this team. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is, uh, is not a um, vocal quarterback uh, inside the locker room. And so uh, with Joe Staley retiring, he had been that guy for this team for a long time. Kittle sort of took up that mantle. So um, you get a lot with Kittle. So I I probably go with him. But then again, you know, last year's um, resurgent 49ers team was resurgent largely because of that defense. Um, And uh, that was led by Nick Bosa coming off the edge. So they have really lack that this year you were probably writing up stories after your team's game but um they had nothing against the bills and josh allen josh allen looked like uh i don't know the second coming of troy aikman uh dan fouch uh, you name it he looked like a, a hall of famer against them and it was largely because the 49ers could not put any heat on josh allen so it's been a um tremendous missing piece this year uh, not having that that heat off the edge. Just well, let me ask you a question. Yeah, um, go for it. Going back to, to Smith and also kind of tying in Ron Rivera and his, uh, his battle um, uh, with cancer, has that kind of, um, I don't know what the right verb is, but has the, has the team sort of uh, internalized uh, the resilience that both of those men have shown. It seems like out of all those NFC East teams, uh, and I know the Giants have won a few games here, but uh, it's Washington that's really kind of kept punching uh, throughout the season. And uh, it just seems like the whole team has sort of eternalized what those two guys at the top of the organization are, are showing. 
Yeah, it's yeah. it is such an incredible year. The highs and lows for this franchise this year, this calendar year, are just unbelievable. Obviously, they had so much off the field uh, things going on from uh, the, the minority owners trying to get out of their shares and they're going after Dan Snyder in court. There were the reports of um, sexual harassment or other types of harassment within the organization and those things are still going on. There's an internal investigation. Uh, even, even, both of those stories were, have been in the news just in the last couple of, a couple of days. Uh, you had other players, you had, you know, what, the, the, the name changed because of a lot of pressure and, and there's other plenty of other stories and to have all that negative and yet you could if you look at the broad picture and to talk about the two guys you just talked about Alex Smith with the comeback for the ages and Ron Rivera not just he, he having to deal with all those problems I just talked about to some degree then he has to coach a, a new team then he finds out he has uh, cancer and has to go through those treatments while the season is happening it is just the swings of, 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 of energy of energy and emotion on both these topics is amazing. And now that they've they dealt with a lot of those problems, the name change is at least whatever it's going to be, it's not going to be the Washington Redskins anymore. The ownership, that's still, we'll see. But that's not, half, that's not again, an in-your-face thing. What's in your face is Alex Smith's inspirational play and Ron Rivera fighting through his, his various ordeals. And we have talked to the players even early in the season when they were struggling and and uh, you know there were a lot of like yeah this doesn't look that good right now the one thing that always stood out to me was how often we would ask the players what do you kind of think about what's going on here with Ron Rivera and they gushed about what they thought of him as a, as a man as a leader and yes part of that was about um, them recognizing he's going through a lot with his health but it was even beyond that they liked his his the way he talked to the players he was inspirational he talked to them as, as men he explained to them what what they were, what was expected of them. He didn't, I guess it was no, um, didn't seem like there was any like, you know, playing around and, and they really liked that. And I think, you know, and then again, like I said, with the Alex Smith thing, I mean, Chase Young has gone out of his way to say how much he likes or loves number 11, as, as he says. And yeah, you can, I mean, how can, it, how can you, if you're a player and you're like, eh, I don't know, I'm not feeling it today. How can you feel, how can you not give it all? Look at the guy over yeah. there. And like, wait, and you, if they all, I'm sure they all watch a documentary or at least know the story. It's, yeah, I, I think without a doubt, those, the, the inspiration from those two guys has been huge, especially in light of the fact all the negative that was happening. Yeah, yeah the 49ers players also have watched that documentary I'm, to a person uh, among the guys that we talked to today. So it, it's something that transcends, uh, I think, you know, uh, everybody in the league sort of, uh, realizes just the, uh, you know, what was overcome there. I mean, it's, it's a massive. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just beyond, beyond uh, remarkable. It's also been interesting. They've had essentially two national TV games last two weeks, the Thanksgiving game against Dallas, which they won handily. And then this Pittsburgh game was more or less a national TV game. And so it even puts more of a spotlight on the team, but also specifically Ron Rivera and Alex Smith in their journeys uh, this year. Uh, we're here on the uh, Standard Grimoli podcast with our 49ers insider, Matt Barrows, kind of going through uh, questions on both teams heading into Sunday's Washington-San Francisco game in Arizona. <laughs> it's like saying that. It's so, it's so silly. Um, let me get to uh, you. You asked me about the, four, the, the, four, the famous 40 X-49er and Alex Smith. 
I guess I should ask about the famous ex-Washington player in Trent Williams. Uh, he obviously had a didn't end well here. He, uh, you know, the, the holdout last year, the, the new regime comes in. They finally they finally move him. Uh, he gets reunited with with Kyle Shanahan. Um, obviously, Trent Williams was a largely a really good player here, being Pro Bowl, uh, you know, you know, annually, and, and you know, was a huge anchor for this line. Uh, the players looked up to him and all that, and um, it was a big loss for them last year. They've been able to sort of paper over the left tackle spot this year, but I think that's still an issue to address. How's it going for you guys? I mean, he have, I know at one point he he dealt he was dealing with uh, COVID, but when he's been on the field. I would, I would say, how has he been to deal with, but you haven't dealt with him too much, I guess, because of the pandemic, but how has he, uh, how has he been for the 49ers? Uh, he's been really good. Uh, the, the 49ers pulled off a, a real juggling act when Joe Staley, uh, who had been playing well, um, you know, he's in his mid thirties. Um, he, he retired at the end of this, uh, this last season because he had a, a neck issue and, and didn't really want to risk his, uh, his future health. Um, you know, uh, it was a, a sort of a family decision, but it was it was a bit sudden. You know, the, the 49ers hadn't gone out and drafted his replacement or anything like that. So Staley's a, uh, a multi-year pro bowler and the 49ers were able to replace him with somebody who's been to even more pro bowls than, than Staley did. And um, Trent Williams obviously came in and uh, it was seamless. He, he knows the offense. Uh, he's, you know, Joe, Joe Staley is amazing in terms of his mobility he's as fast as uh, a lot of tight ends in this league and um, if there's one guy that's faster than him it's Trent Williams and, and we've seen that a couple of times where he's well down the field blocking on some of these uh, stretch zone runs etc uh, so he's been really good um, he hasn't been dominant uh, you know the, the 49ers have allowed some uh, some pressures. Um, he hasn't been perfect. Um, you know, he's been better than these other guys, but, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is, is on the sideline right now because uh, a Jets defensive lineman, Quinn Williams, uh, basically slipped through the line and gave him a shot on his uh, lower leg that turned into a, a really bad high ankle sprain. So that's been a bit of a theme this year. So nobody on that offensive line gets away scot-free, uh, including Trent Williams. Um, he has been good. He's been great in the Zoom stuff that we're doing. Um, you know, we, we give out a good guy award at the end of the year, just like you guys do. And uh, I would say that Trent Williams is going to be, you know, among the guys that we consider this year. Um, you know, a lot of the other guys, Kittle, Garoppolo, Richard Sherman, haven't played most of the season. So they're, they're sort of not in the running. Um, so that, that leaves guys like Trent Williams to pick up the mantle. And I, and I think he's, he's doing that. I mean, I, I think he realizes that's his station now, uh, you know, multi-year veteran making a lot of money playing a marquee position. That's his job to be one of the, uh, the anchors in that locker room. And uh, I, I think he's doing that again, this is a bizarre year. It's hard to say because we're not there, but um, that, that's the feedback I get. So, you know, the, the big question with him is, can the 49ers uh, really sign him in the offseason? I think that's going to be probably their, their biggest thing on their offseason to-do list. Um, and if they don't, then they've got some real issues on, on their hand. That was their intention when they made the trade. I don't think that they realized that the salary cap would, would drop the way it will in 2021. So that's the, uh, that's the kind of the balancing act that they need to have, a, have accomplished. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting because Washington has 
its own offensive lineman to re-sign with Brandon Sheriff. Um, that he's on playing on the franchise tag this year, fifteen million dollars, and you know it's a something actually I'll have up on on the athletic this week about kind of where he's, um, you know, what, what what do we think about Brandon Sheriff just in general, how he fits in, and is he is is there money, you know, is he worth paying, giving him a multi-year contract with some with with some money? That said, even with the salary cap potentially taking a you know a bit of a, a being cut a little bit perhaps because of the, the loss of revenue. Washington is one of the teams that has a, a, a fair amount of cap space. I think they're somewhere like in the top five projected cap space. So they could potentially, even with a little bit of a, of a hit there, or just a revenue loss in general, they could still keep Brandon Sheriff and still do some other things. And that's what I was going to ask. So is, is San Francisco to some degree, is it, if, if things get tight, are they up potentially up against it? If Trent Williams is actually, he obviously held out. He wanted whatever he de- deemed fair value a year ago. Do you think there's a chance that uh, that could be a, a, a tight squeeze for them? Yeah, if- it, it's definitely going to be a tight squeeze no matter what. I mean, I, I think that the two sides made that trade, um, you know, having spoken with Trent Williams and, and with the um, understanding that the, the 49ers would make a big effort to resign him. He's, he's happy here. He likes Shanahan. He likes the culture. No, I don't think he'll ever go back to Washington. You know, <laughs> no, you, no. You guys, you guys do have a lot of salary cap space. But again, I mean, you know, I, I haven't met a, a free agent yet who uh, decides that money isn't going to be, um, you know, uh, the, the chief objective during free agency. So, you know, if another team, uh, I, I can't think of one, the, the Cardinals, uh, the Seahawks, uh, a team with salary cap space and a team that's, um, you know, winning – the Titans, um, you know, comes comes out with more money, then that's where he's going to go. So um, I think it is a question mark. If he does leave, I think uh, left tackle vaults to the top of the, the 49ers draft list, uh, to-do list. So uh, that would be their their fallback, I would I would think. Yeah, he's definitely not uh, not coming back here. That 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 that's about all I know for sure. <laughs> um, uh, what, uh, wait, this is now... It's, uh, it's my turn. Yeah, so here, here's the, uh, the question that I'm sure you guys are sick of, but um, uh, I'm going to retweet this when, when the, the, the podcast is up, and I'm sure 49ers fans would like to know your opinion on it. What's the skinny on what the new name is going to be? What, who's, what's the leader in the clubhouse? Um, I personally like, I like Red Wolves that's come up. Um, I like, I've liked Hogs for uh, decades now as a, a possible alternative. Uh, I, I'm assuming that those are at least in the running. Yeah, so um, when, you know, this was a very unusual circumstance. It wasn't, you know, obviously it's very rare for any team to change its name. Ironically, the local NBA team did. So we've already kind of gone through this, but typically even like with that, they announce it and then there's going to be a process. It's not, it's not being done at, uh, like here it was, uh, I don't, I'm trying to, th- the, I have no issue with the name being changed, but like it was being done sort of like forced to some degree because of all the things that were happening in society uh, in, in the spring and summer kind of, I think to help force the NFL to put Dan Snyder in a position where he kind of had no choice finally but to change the name. So there wasn't like, it wasn't like some thought out plan. And it felt like in the moment, they might just spring on another name quick. And you mentioned the Red Wolves. That was a name that was, that was running wild on, on social media. 
Warriors was in there. I mean, Hogs, obviously, in, with the reference to the 80s uh, teams, the, the offensive line would, would be one. But they then slowed the process. They announced, okay, we're going to go with Washington football team. Maybe it's the long, maybe it's the answer. Maybe it's just the, the stopgap name. And now they've also brought in some new management. There's a new team president. There's other things happening. And they're now going through this formal process. They've already said that realistically next year, they still may be the Washington football team. So whereas maybe we were all running wild with some thoughts about what whatever these names were here on social media, that it could be so random that it could be any of these names. Now it feels like, okay, they're going to go through a process. So I'd be lying if I said I could tell you what's the front runner because I have no idea what criteria they're going to consider. Do they want something to be, you know, like it, it looks like they're going to keep the colors. So the burgundy and gold, but do they want something that has red in the name or are they going away just from all that completely? I mean, the new Seattle expansion team is the Kraken. I don't have any sense that they would want something that has a, uh, um, you know, Kraken was named something from the, from a movie. I don't know if they would want something in that vein or if they want something that's more classic old school, or maybe they want something that's, you know, ties to DC politics. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. And that's what makes it interesting. And look, I think the Washington football team name itself, I don't know if people are just talking themselves into it, but people are kind of, some people are talking themselves into it. And if they make the playoffs this year and win the division, I would have to think <laughs> that the name gets even more of a chance to stay just because there will be some momentum behind it. I personally don't like it. I mean, as somebody who writes, <laughs> I, I told this, I had the president on the podcast. I'm like, look, this is not a reason to not pick the name, but when I write the story, the Washington football team, I use the reference one time and then the rest of my story, I just go Washington. And I don't make it, I don't use because the football team is such a weird dynamic. And from their perspective, like whatever our articles do for our marketing, it doesn't help. So that was my argument against it. But if they win this year, it could be the Washington football team. <laughs> Good well, I, uh, I, I get it. I mean, I, uh, I cover a team that has a, a numeral as its mascot. So I can't begin sentences with 49ers. So it's always uh, a little bit awkward. I, I, I often wish that I had a more traditional type of uh, team name, but I agree with you. I mean, the, the uniform, the look right now has a very understated classic um, sense to it. You know, like, a, like it's been around for, you know, uh, decades and decades and decades. So that, that it does have an appeal there. I, I would hate if they went cracking and went with a, sort of a, a nouveau thing that just seems stuck in a moment and not uh, isn't isn't as classic. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I assume that everybody involved is thinking exactly on those lines, and that they'll have a good uh, a good answer coming up. Yeah, I, I would I would put something like the crack and low on the list, but you know, or that type of um, the, the, the like you said that type of in the moment thing, like the Toronto Raptors type thing. Um, so yeah, you would think it would be some sort of like I mean, uh, you know, the NFC East teams are among the traditional powers or you know in or franchises in the league, so you would think it would have that. And like I said, there are so many elements just within the local DC area you could go to. Um, but yeah, we're 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 on hold. <laughs> we, don't, we, we don't know what's going to be, and it sounds like it could be even through next year. So we we may have to have this conversation again in a year from now to see where we're at. All right. Um, I, I have a question for you about the quarterbacks, but before we get to that, I I meant to bring this up earlier because you you mentioned this to me. Not only are you from 
the area, but like you had a very famous former member of this team as a neighbor. Yes, um, I'm from, I grew up in uh, Centerville and um, then I moved to, then my family moved to Vienna and, and I'm, I'm wearing a, a Capitals jersey. I know this is just a podcast and nobody can see it, but Ben, I can, can confirm. You're, pop, you're, you're, popping the, you're popping your caps, uh, your, your cap shirt. Yeah, it's a, and it's old school caps. That means that I've been a fan since the 70s, which is absolutely true. Yeah, so um, uh, we were hardcore uh, Washington fans growing up. My, my whole family was. Um, you know, they obviously got good in the 80s. I was just at the right age for, for them to get good. And then <laughs> lo and behold, Daryl Green moves in across the street from us. And uh, Daryl Green, um, you know, for a kid, A, he's a Redskin, and B, he's the fastest guy in the NFL. Uh, and so that just uh, set us off like crazy, uh, a bunch of kids growing up at that time. And so, um, and I remember this, and this, this has to do with the, the team nickname. Um, at one point, I, I mentioned that my family moved to Vienna at one point. And so they were selling their house and my parents had become close to Daryl Green and, and his wife, Jewel. And um, Daryl realized that we were selling the house. And he also, um, uh, Charles Mann was part of that uh, team as well. And Charles Mann was trying to get into real estate at that point. And so Daryl suggested that, hey, maybe Charles Mann can come over and you can think about him being the real estate agent. Of course, my parents said, yeah, absolutely, have him come over. And I remember Daryl Green and Charles Mann coming into our house. And I remember Charles Mann sitting down on our piano stool, which had these spindly legs on it, and, and thinking, boy, if, if this guy goes through the, uh, breaks this piano stool and gets hurt, we're going to be in big trouble here. And then I also remember my sister, who was four years older than me, sort of like, a, like an older sister is, she was into politics and things like that. And she went up to Charles Mann and said, what do you think about Redskins? What do you think about the team nickname? And at that point, I was just such a ardent fan. And you probably come across a lot of people exactly like me. Um, I would have fought you if you suggested that they, the, the team uh, change its name. Uh, but I remember very distinctly what Charles Mann's uh, response was. And he said, it doesn't really matter what I think about the name. If other people are offended by the name, you have to think about changing it. And, and nobody was saying that at that time. This is the mid-80s. Right. I, was, I was 11, 12 years old. And I just remember Charles Mann saying that meant something. And I, I remember it to this day. And uh, I, I, I started to change my mind about it at that time. It didn't happen overnight. But it's something that I always have come back to in these, I don't want to date myself. I guess I already have. In the, in the 30 some odd years since then, I always think about that. And it was a very intelligent thing, thoughtful thing to say uh, at that point. And uh, so credit uh, number 71, Charles Mann with, the, with that insight. Oh, that's, that's amazing, right? At that, at that time, that, that was not something that was being said. It's also fascinating that he was get, debating getting into real estate because that's what he is now. He's a commercial real estate guy. Uh, I talked to him during this pandemic at some point when I did a story about uh, the, the the 80s, the, the Joe Gibbs era uh, teams, and uh, yeah, that's what he's doing. So yeah, that 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 that's amazing. The, the Daryl Green living across the street uh, <laughs> would be would be off the charts 
uh, unbelievable at that. If I was a kid at that point in time, my 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 lord, that's amazing. You know, Daryl once uh, we had a basketball hoop in our driveway, so Daryl would come over and shoot hoops, and I remember this distinctly. One year it was, you know, it was winter and the 49ers were, I mean, the 49ers, the Redskins were in the playoffs and Daryl came over to shoot hoops and he slipped on a patch of ice in our driveway and like came down hard on his elbow and, and thinking, oh my God, that could have been a disaster for the team's playoff chances. I mean, that's how loosey goosey it was back in the day. I doubt, I doubt those guys would engage in anything like that or it got on social media or Twitter or something like that. And they'd be uh, pilloried by, uh, by fans in the media. <laughs> right. Every once in a while, you hear some random story about like, wait, how did you get hurt again? <laughs> What's going on here? You, you did what? Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Funny. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, that's an amazing, that's an amazing story. Um, so um, with regards to the quarterback, I mean, obviously in terms of Sunday's game, you know, Washington fans are curious about what's going on with, with Nick Mullins and what, what's their, to know about him. So I'm interested in that, but I'm also curious about the long-term perspective. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, a couple of years ago, I don't know if it's fair to say that they picked Jimmy Garoppolo over Kirk Cousins, waiting for Kirk Cousins, because that's where we all thought Kirk Cousins would, would, would end up with San Francisco, but they made the move to get Garoppolo. I think I have that, that time, right? And, you know, he's he's had some moments, obviously they made the Super, made the Super Bowl, but, um, you know, doesn't feel like he's he's ascending at this point. So what, 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 what do people need to know about Mullins for Sunday, but then also where is his position sort of going long-term? Well, your, your take on it was absolutely correct. I mean, that was what the, the 49ers planned to do when, when Shanahan and John Lynch came here in 2017. They were going to wait on um, um, uh, Kirk Cousins to become a free agent, and he was go- going to be their quarterback. I mean, they, they made no bones about that plan. Um, in the interim, they, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo became available. Uh, and that surprised the 49ers because they had inquired about him um, to begin 2017. And of course, Bill Belichick, maybe he grunted or something like that. But <laughs> the, uh, the, um, the takeaway was that he wasn't going to be available. Well, uh, Belichick calls at, at the trade deadline, says, do, do you guys want to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo? Um, uh, and, and the answer was yes. And, and they, they made that very quickly. And then Garoppolo came in and he won the last five games of the season. So then they, you know, knowing that they, they signed him to a long-term deal at that point, And he became the quarterback of the future. The, the, the issue is that he was hurt for nearly all of 2018 and he's been hurt for nearly all of 2020. And in between, he took the team to the Super Bowl. Now this being an NFL team, um, with a fan base on Twitter, there, there have been all sorts, d- despite his success last year, there are people calling for his head. Uh, there, there are a lot of, uh, and it's not just fans, it's media members as well, saying that Jimmy Garoppolo is not the guy that they need to move on. Um, I don't think that there are, frankly, any really good options out there for this team in the offseason. They're almost bound to Jimmy Garoppolo next year. Um, and, uh, you know, the 49ers can say, you know, he was hurt all of 2020. So let's give him one more go at it as the full-time starter. This is a guy that's been in the league since 2014. He started 16 games exactly once. And that was last year. Uh, Baker Mayfield has more experience than, than Jimmy Garoppolo does. So, um, uh, suffice to say, uh, Garoppolo will not be in the lineup on Sunday. It'll be Nick Mullins and Nick Mullins is a great 
you know, sparky young uh, quarterback who was an undrafted guy out of Southern Miss, uh, has no business being in the NFL and is here be, through uh, hard work and because he's very sharp. He's, he's very quick through his progressions and gets the ball out on time. And, and that's so important in a Shanahan <laughs> offense. He's not athletic. He's not big. He doesn't have a big arm and he tends to throw a lot of interceptions. So, um, you know, it, 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 the, the 49ers uh, can't really lean on Nick Mullins to win these games. Opponents know that. So they're stacking uh, against the run in, in these games. And, uh, you know, so far that's, uh, that's worked really well. The, the 49ers snuck out a, a victory in Los Angeles against the Rams two weeks ago. But like I said, the bills just took it to them on offense and on defense. So, um, it's, uh, it's a tough task for Mullins for this running uh, game uh, against Washington. I think everybody's impressed by that defense, especially the defensive line. And I would imagine that's what Ron Rivera's uh, plan is. Let's, let's stop the run. Let's make sure that Shanahan and his fast running backs don't get to the outside. They've, uh, teams have been using sort of a wide nine defensive end there, just kind of taking away that lane, uh, forcing them to run up through the middle. Um, so that's, uh, you know, it, uh, it, there's, no, there's no sense in reinventing the wheel. I don't think for Washington this week, that seems to be a, a pretty good game plan against Mullins in this offense. Yeah. You, you mentioned the, the stopping the run from week two to for the next eight, for eight, for an eight game stretch, starting in week two, they'd given up at least 105 yards on the ground in all but one, but one game. They were, it, it was becoming a problem in the last three games though. And yeah, you can look at the opponent and have, you know, point to things, but they've only given up 150 yards combined in the last three. And I think that's definitely, that's definitely uh, helped for sure. And obviously they've got some momentum. I think, like I said, the Alex Smith part is helping. So um, yeah, so that will be, uh, that'll be interesting. Um, well, Matt, before I let you go, I guess I have to ask by law of doing a podcast, I have to ask for a prediction. Uh, I don't even know how to factor in anymore. <laughs> Again, this is neutral site and you know, I know the team I have is, is surging a bit and they just pulled off one of the big upsets of the season, beating an undefeated Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh team. But at the same time, you know, there are definitely still some questions. It's not like they're a rock star team, but maybe I have to stop saying that because they, they, they're, they're winning games and, you know, you beat Pittsburgh, no matter what the circumstance, that's something. Uh, San Fran had, had its own big win a couple of weeks ago. So what's, uh, what say you, what, what's your take on what's actually going to happen this week? I'm a, I'm a believer in timing and, and momentum and, um, you know, the 49ers have been coming off a, a big win against uh, the Rams and all of a sudden their playoff uh, hopes were, were buoyed and um, then they came in and they lost this game to the Bills and it, it sort of seesaws like that for them. Uh, so they just came off a really disappointing loss. They didn't play all that well. Their energy wasn't great. Um, uh, Washington, um, on the other hand, just came off an, an emotional win. Um, both teams have a short week, but Washington has, has to make the trip. Uh, I, I think the 49ers eat this one out. I, I think it's going to be low scoring. I, I think, you know, first team to 24, maybe wins this one, uh, that, that type of game, um, you know, uh, Alex Smith will matriculate the ball down the field. I don't think they're going to score a lot of points, but, uh, that's, that's the way I see it sort of being a, a bit of a slugfest, uh, with the 49ers coming out on top. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to argue against anything you just said. I mean, you know, the defensive struggle or defensive matchup seems like a, re a reasonable approach. Washington's defense is getting better. And it, I would guess it's unlikely that Antonio Gibson plays. 
uh, where he's got, a, it looks like a turf toe situation. So if he's out, they obviously got by against Pittsburgh, but they don't have a ton of weapons um, in the backfield. It's J.D. McKissick, who's a nice third down back. They're having to use it a lot. I mean, he's more than a third down back, but just in terms of a style of player. And you have Peyton Barber, who's like two yards in a cloud of dust, but he can be effective in short yardage circumstances. And then if you, if you don't have a ton of a running game, which it didn't against Pittsburgh, then a lot relies on Alex Smith. And, you know, um, not saying he hasn't produced, but against a good defense, like San Francisco still has, even with, with their guys out, um, that's a challenge. So, yeah, I, I think as we're talking on Wednesday, I, I kind of like you. Uh, I'm with you sort of like a 2017 win for the 49ers. But, look, the way the Washington's been playing, the, with their momentum, it wouldn't stun me at all. I would say if they win on the road, I guess it's on the road no matter where they go. But uh, <laughs> if, if, if they were to pull it out, I'm not doubting them. But, yeah, I mean, it's – it's I, you know what, maybe I should – I don't even know what to think anymore. I've lost all sense of how to predict – Predict the team. I think the first seven or eight games, I was perfect. I had I had both the win, the the winner and the loser, and the covering the spread. And in the last three or four games, it's been <laughs> it's been ugly. So uh, so who knows? But um, but yeah, it should be, it should be fun, and uh, I I'm excited uh, to see what happens. Matt, I really appreciate you coming on. Everybody, go read Matt. Uh, go follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Barrows. Be nice, Twitter people, and uh, go read his stuff on the Athletic. Lots to get into. You, you want to know the opponent. This is the guy to go read. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on, Ben. And um, yeah, you can rough me up on Twitter. I, I can take it after all these years. <laughs> I, I, no matter what I say, I think people are going to do what they do. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> glad, I'm glad you have uh, tough skin. But uh, Twitter's going to Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, man. All right. All right. There you have it. That's it for this episode of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Big thanks to Stephanie Odie and Matt Barrows. For their time, go follow them on Twitter. I think it's both. It's at Steph Odie and at Matt Barrows. For sure, read Matt on The Athletic as well. And, of course, again, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. Read me on The Athletic. You know, you know the deal. Again, always appreciate you guys checking out the podcast. If you've listened to this deep at 118 in the podcast, really appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, if you haven't already su- subscribed, do so. If you, have, if you have a chance to leave a review, leave five stars, all that kind of fun stuff. It all helps. I greatly appreciate it. Again, be good to yourself. Hang in there. It's been a weird year, but we're almost to the end of this crazy calendar, and at least the Washington football team is giving us a few things to be uh, interested in beyond just the 2021 NFL draft. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. Big week for this team, and it should be interesting one way or the other. That's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Talk to you guys soon. Until next time. See ya.